Amen. Thank you, Thomas. Um, how's everybody today? Good. It's good to see you. My name is Becky Pritchard. Glad to be with you today. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you know me, um, you know that today's a hard day for me because I'm wearing black because my team yesterday lost. I am a faithful Oklahoma Sooner, Boomer Sooner, and we did not even score one point in the game against the University of Texas Longhorns. Congratulations to the Longhorns. There we go, I see some of you back, uh-huh, yep. I am, uh-huh, yeah, right. I do live, I realize that I live in Texas and that I have to deal with this year to year. Sometimes I like to come in here and I feel pretty good and I'm confident. Today I'm feeling a little, on edge. So you're going to have to pray for me if you want to lift up a prayer um, on behalf of the Sooners. It's a rebuilding year, right? Uh, that's what I just keep telling myself. But um, in all seriousness, I'm grateful that mercies are new every morning, even for failure. So um, let us join together in a word of prayer. Let us pray. May the, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we continue in our study of Acts. Was anyone here last week to hear our global missions partner, David Chakanarayan? I think that's right, yeah? He spoke in here last week, and if you missed it, I encourage you to go online to watch his sermon. It's worth taking the 30 minutes to listen to what he had to share last week. It has stuck with me all week, the powerful message of standing in the gap to ignite, encourage, love on people who do not know Jesus, and to share the love of Christ with people in your life. He said something so powerful that has just been so challenging to me this week about we cannot be comfortable when we share the gospel of Christ. We have to get uncomfortable. And I, for one, love my comfort. I love the, the comfort of life. I love to have a nice bed to sleep in and all the things, my schedule, my control, all the things that I like to do. We cling to safety, we cling to comfort. But what does it look like for us as God's people to stand in the gap for people that do not yet know him, used by God for his glory to share and be witnesses to Jesus Christ. We've been talking this whole fall through the book of Acts about witness, all about seeing for ourselves who Jesus is, being able to share and proclaim the good news of Christ with people around us, not because God needs us, but because he wants to use us so that he might be glorified. So we're gonna continue in Acts today. I invite you to keep your Bible open to Acts 13. It's a long passage. It's actually the first of Paul's sermons that's recorded in entirety. It's a long sermon. We're only gonna be looking at a portion of it. But we see that Paul at this point is continuing in on his first missionary journey, and he's continuing to witness the life and work of Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna kind of set some context up part that we didn't read today, the part that leads into the passage that we read today, that they've been traveling around, Paul and Barnabas have been traveling around, witnessing to Jesus, and so far they have been witnessing to people that 
worship false idols and are not really Jewish God-fearing people. Maybe are more magicians, people that are kind of wacky whack and they have to sort of share about Jesus. And so their work has been cut out for them and they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this work, to share the good news. And they've been faithful to what God has called them to do. But next, right before this sermon, they have traveled a very long distance to a place called Pisidia. And in Pisidia, they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So here we are in the church on a Sabbath. That's what we're doing here today. So similar to this, people gathered, the Jewish people gathered together in a synagogue to hear about God's word, to worship God together. Again, these are God-fearing Jews. At this point, they're not having to talk to these magicians and people that are kind of wacky. They're talking to people that are like, have gone to church their whole lives that know about God, have are descendants of the people of Israel, are descendants of the people that God has brought out from slavery and into their land, and all this time has passed, but here they're, wor- they're worshiping together. So picture Paul. Paul and Barnabas, they're new to the crowd. They walked into the synagogue. They're sitting there and they're listening to the reading of the law and prophets, similar to what we do, like what Thomas just did. He got up and he read scripture. And after that... Somebody says, hey, Paul, do you want to get up and speak? Uh, yeah, he's ready, right? He gets up and he starts to share. Can you imagine that in here? What if Thomas got done reading the scripture and he goes, who would like to share the sermon today? Would anybody want to come up? Yes, I knew Thomas. I knew it when I was writing the sermon. I thought Thomas Brooks would want to come up and share the gospel. He would. But seriously, that is what kind of happened. It's kind of opened the door. Who wants to come up and share? It wasn't a surprise to Paul because Paul was on this missionary journey. This was his life. This was his goal. This is what he was meant to do. Paul would have been prepared with some words in his back pocket. So it wasn't a huge surprise. But wouldn't it be fun to try that out here? I mean, we've been talking this whole fall about witness. What if every single one of us had a sermon in our back pocket? And anytime we were called forth to share, we were ready to get up confidently to share about Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, can I just bring the donuts? I just want to bring the donuts. I don't want to have to preach. Don't make me preach. But what if we just took out all of the like pressure? You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't have to know every answer to every question. You just got to be a witness and share about who Jesus is to you and how Jesus has loved you and shared his grace with you. Could we do that? Right? Let that be a challenge for us. Paul's ready. It's his call in life to do this. But isn't that call on all of our lives? Let's get that sermon in the back pocket ready to share about Jesus Christ. Paul was ready to share. So as Paul begins to speak, he takes the people of Israel and he shares with them their own history. He takes them way far back in their history. He begins with a brief overview of all that has happened to the Israelite people. And this is verses 17 to 25, all before what we read today. He doesn't only explain the history, um, but he really emphasizes what God has done throughout history. It's not just, oh, your great, 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 great granddad was in, you know, in slavery in Egypt. He doesn't really talk about what the people did. He talks about what God did. 
this whole entire part of the passage is saturated in the godness of God's sovereignty, his plan, his purpose, that God led the people out of Israel or out of Egypt, that God was with them in the wilderness for 40 days, that God put up with them in their moaning and groaning in the wilderness, that God destroyed the nations in the land of Canaan so that he would give them the land that they were promised. God this, God that, God gave them judges, God gave them kings, God gave them David, and from David, the line of David was born the Messiah. God had given all of these things to the Israelite people. So as he's illustrating this to the, in the synagogue, again, called up to speak, he's ready, he's got the whole history, he's preaching to the choir. These people know these stories. They are descendants of the people of Israel. They've heard them their entire lives. They know exactly what happened to their ancestors. They've been passed down these stories forever. They already know this. They are the insiders of the Jewish faith. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the good news for the outsiders, the Gentiles. Finally, the salvation could extend to people that weren't Jewish. But these guys, these were the insiders. These were the people that knew the stories. So why does he go through this historical review? Why does he talk about this if they already know it? Well, as we begin in verse 26, we see he's leading up to share about the good news of Jesus Christ, how everything that's happened before now all points to Jesus Christ and Jesus' salvation for his people. They show God's intentional actions in the lives of his people and that Jesus really did come and that Jesus really was persecuted, that Jesus was convicted by his own people and that he really did die and that he really was resurrected from the dead. He's illustrating, he's a witness to what happened. And he needed to remind them of their past. Don't we sometimes need to be reminded? Our, our memory of the past is a little bit blurry. Sometimes we look back on our past experiences and we're like, oh, it wasn't that bad when I broke my femur. You know, I got through it, no big deal. But in the moment, we were like, that was the worst experience of our lives. But it's kind of like rose-colored glasses as we look back. Or opposite, we look back and it was like the worst experience ever and we never got over it and we can't stop thinking about it because it was horrible when maybe it wasn't as bad as we say. Right, our memories are fuzzy. We need to be reminded of the truth. Don't you hate it when somebody's like, remember when we went to the you know, coffee shop and you ordered the blank blank and, I, and you're like, what? How do you know that? How do you remember that, right? And you're like, I don't believe it that way. But sometimes we need somebody to point us to the truth, to remind us of God's provision and the story of God's people that got us to where we are today. So he's reminding the people of the past. Our memories get fuzzy. They thought as they remembered the story of their ancestors that that's just normal life. God saves my family. They forgot that it's an extraordinary, an extraordinary moment that so much time had passed, they didn't experience it. They're the great, 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 great grandchildren of the people that were in Egypt, in the wilderness and so on. And so for them, it's like, yeah, that, that happened, cool. But like, really, that happened. And so they needed to be reminded. We have to be reminded too of how faithful the Lord has been in our lives. When we look back on those very memorable times that are very tough, the seasons of life that are hardest for us. And we look back at God's grace on us in those seasons, we're reminded of the truth that God loves us. 
We need to be reminded. So in verse 26, Paul is talking about the message of salvation. He shares about how the people in Jerusalem didn't recognize this Messiah. They didn't listen. They didn't understand. They didn't know what he was there for. Even though the prophets had told them that he was coming, when he was there, they didn't remember. And they were turning to their lives of idolatry and sin. And so they condemned Jesus. And he was put to death on a cross and laid in a tomb. But look at verse 30. If we go down to verse 30, but God, the best part of the scripture, if ever you're reading scripture and you see, but God, take a stop and go, <gasps> you try that with me. <gasps> it's shocking that God has this much power and authority, but God raised him from the dead. You guys, we read these things and we just, oh yep, yep. God raised him from the dead. That's great. Do you realize how shocking that is? But God raised him from the dead. That is an amazing miracle that is true and it happened. It's historical and we know it to be true. God raised Jesus from the dead, showing God's provision, his promise, his sovereignty, and his love. So Jesus, being raised from the dead, goes and witnesses around. It continues to talk, Paul continues to talk in his sermon that he's witnessing to people in Galatia and elsewhere, and he's going around showing that he's risen. And then everyone else is then called to do the same, to witness about what they've seen and who they've seen in Jesus Christ. Paul now is doing the same thing. He's witnessing to the good news. So as we continue on, Paul begins to quote the Old Testament. This is a practice that we as preachers do. We like to proof text the text with the text. It's really good to prove what you're talking about with something else that was written in the same book. It's like a good research thing, right? Any professors in here? No. Um, nevertheless, it's going back and proving, look, this is what was said and this is what happened. This is what was said and this is what happened. So we see in verse 33, it comes from Psalm 2. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Proving Jesus was God's son. His plan was to send his only son. Verse 34 is from Isaiah 55, three. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. David, the king who couldn't offer salvation to all the people. David, the king who was not fully perfect, who had to deal with corruption, knowing that Jesus is. Verse 35 is from Psalm 16, verse 10. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. David saw corruption, but Jesus did not see corruption. He was perfect, and his sacrifice offers freedom from corruption. Here's the punchline. Verses 38 through 39. If you don't remember anything that's been said today, remember this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and that you are freed. Freed, something that the Israelite people had wanted since they were stuck in slavery in Egypt. Freedom, something that we all have been longing for and waiting for as people captured and bound by sin, freedom since the time that Adam and Eve took the apple in the garden, we have been bound by and held captive by sin. Salvation, forgiveness, 
The Greek word here that is translated freedom in the ESV is also translated as justified in other versions. You may see that in your own Bible, justified. Justified being, meaning being made righteous by Jesus. People that were full of sin, totally broken, absolutely without hope, are, have the opportunity to be made righteous because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. The Israelite people knew the stories in their head. They tried to follow the law of Moses, which was very strict and hard to follow. And when they fell short, they offered sacrifices for atonement because they knew that they could not keep with the law. They kept failing over and over, and none of the sacrifice satisfied the wrath of God. Not until Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. God, God's plan were, was for his son to die. The law of Moses didn't work, but God had a promise that would work for all people, for all salvation. So these Jewish people are sitting there and they're listening to Paul. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know this, this is great. But all of a sudden their eyes start to begin opening and they start to realize that this is bigger than what happened to their ancestors. This is, this is something that's happening now in their lives. And this has, this has results for the future. This is gonna mean something for their kids and for their kids' kids. And their eyes start to open. The insiders, the one that knew all the stories, they felt like they didn't need to learn anything else because they knew it all. But as Paul, as Paul speaks, they start to discover this idea of Jesus offering a freedom that maybe they didn't fully realize, a freedom that is totally life-changing. Helped, Paul helped them see that God was all over history, ushering in Jesus, promising Jesus if you keep reading after the passage that we ended with today, you see that people were excited. People went and told everybody and they all came to the synagogue the next week. The next week, the synagogue was almost completely full because everybody wanted to hear more about what Paul was saying here. They were excited. They wanted to share with, the, with their friends what they had heard. But as humans are, not long after that, they start to sort of criticize Paul and they start to scoff at him and so goes, they rebel against God. But the message was real. It hits home deeply for these Jewish people. And what about for us, right? We read over these things. That's why I asked you to gasp because we forget how extraordinary our scripture is and how amazing God is in his love for us. We know the stories of scripture, many of us who grew up in the church, but has it infiltrated deep in our hearts? Have we seen the life-changing message of Jesus in our lives? Presbyterians are very proud of their intellectualism. We're very studied people. We love theology and biblical studies. We, we pride ourselves on the fact that we're people of the word, that we're studied, that we're very smart. Yay, you're smart. Um, but seriously, we sometimes neglect that it's so much more than knowledge in our heads. It's so much more than just memorizing scripture. We do that so that it might take root in our hearts and be a foundation so much deeper than what we can do up here in our heads. What does it look like to know all about Jesus, but to not actually know Jesus? That's sort of my story. I grew up, many of you know, born to two Presbyterian pastors, so I'm smart. And I basically tell everybody, although I went to OU, so people are like, you're not smart. Um, I basically tell people all the time that I was born in the pew of a Presbyterian church. I wasn't, but 
pretty much. Um, and so I spent every Sunday in church growing up. I loved church. It was my favorite place to be. I looked forward to waking up and going to church. I wanted to get in my, my church clothes. And even as a youth group student, it was a safe place for me. I felt loved there. People knew me. I was kind of the pastor's kid, you know, felt like a child of the church. Many of you here, my mom was a pastor here years ago, many of you were spiritual mothers and fathers to me growing up, and I felt very safe and loved in the church. Some of you don't have that experience, and church is not a safe place for you because of past something that's happened to you. But for me, church was a safe place. And in middle school and high school, I would choose to be at church rather than at anything else going on, sports, I'm not a, I don't play sports, but anything else that could have been going on, I wanted to be at church. I had every youth director's name, and they don't have, we didn't have cell phones, but if they had cell phones, I would have had their cell phone numbers in my phone. I called people all the time. I wanted my friends to come to church with me. I knew all the right answers. I had studied the stories of scripture. I mean, I could just, I could tell you anything. I had accepted Jesus into my heart at seven years old here at First Pres when I took my first communion, loved it. I got confirmed and baptized in the church, stood up claiming my faith as my own in eighth grade, acknowledging that Jesus had done a work in me. So basically I'm saying that my life is perfect. So the end, nice to meet you. No, I'm kidding. Not at all, of course. Uh, I wish I could say that I never strayed. I wish I could say that it just was a smooth path from there and that the foundation was built and it sank from here into here and it really transformed my life and I never had to struggle. I wish that was true. Unfortunately, just like these Jewish people, I needed to be reminded. As many of you maybe have experienced, I went off to college, University of Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner, and I had to wake up on my own for church. And I gotta tell you, after 18 years of waking up for church, it was so fun to sleep in. Thank you for college students who have come to be here today because I know the joy of sleeping in on a Sunday morning. I really do, it's the best thing. But I realized, I'm, I mean, because sometimes there's Saturday night church, right? You don't always have to come in the morning. But unfortunately, my life had become a distracted mess, and I became very lonely and very scared. I've never felt more anxious. Everywhere, I had been in such a bubble, in such a church bubble, that I didn't know how to go to church and get involved without a parent being on staff. I didn't know how to go to church and plug in when nobody knew me and I didn't have a youth group. There was no place to go and I felt very alone. So I tried to find satisfaction and joy in other things. And I realized quickly how empty all of that was. I didn't really know Jesus. I knew him very well. I had experienced Jesus as a Christian person, as a child raised in the church, but I didn't know Jesus until I had to figure out if he was truly real. If what my parents and my church had told me my whole life was actually legit. And I had to figure out if I was gonna follow Jesus or if I was gonna follow the world around me. Everything I encountered felt broken. Everything felt scary. For the first time in my life, out of desperation, I realized I needed the hope that Jesus offered. This transformational, life-giving, full body, full life hope that I could not get from my grades or my friends or my sorority or anybody around me. Everywhere I looked, there was brokenness. But when I turned to Jesus, I saw light and hope, a hope that was so much greater than 
anything in my life up to that point. And the good news was that I'd had the scriptures as foundation. So I knew in those times of pain and fear, I could go back to something, even though I didn't know why, that's where I went. This may be a similar testimony to some of you in here. You grew up in the church, you feel like you didn't really have a testimony. You know, you didn't have a Paul conversion moment when you went from Saul to Paul and your life completely changed around in one instant because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just always knew Jesus and didn't know any different. That's a good thing. I remember in high school thinking like, oh, my testimony's boring. Well, guess what? God has been with me and you for your entire lives, whether you knew it or not. He has been pouring his love and grace upon you each day. And just like these Jewish people in the synagogue, even if you were raised in the church and you know all the stories, you can sing all the songs, God has a message for you so much greater, filled with so much hope that can transform every bit of darkness in your heart and your life and can free you from the bondage of sin. When we come to faith, we look back on God's grace on our lives, whether we knew him or not as young children, and we see the work of his hands in every moment. Just as Paul shares his sermon here, God was in charge of every move that was made in my heart and in my life. I kept trying to put myself in the center, and God reminded me that he's in the center. I don't want you to leave here today thinking that I've got it all figured out. Like I said earlier, each one of us is called by God to share, to stand in the gap, as David talked about last week, to stand in the gap between people that don't know Jesus and Jesus, to say, how can I walk with you and bring you into this light and hope that I've experienced for myself? How can I offer you an invitation that you may not have ever heard before? I don't have it figured out. This is a journey. I'm a mess, really, in my life. Just ask my husband. It's, it's hard. Life is hard. And on this side of heaven, we are people that are faced with sin and brokenness every single day. And so yet, when we're reminded of the scriptures, reminded of God's plan and his story for us, when we see, that's right, Jesus died for me, but God raised him from the dead for me so that I might have eternal life. We have hope that is so great and so full that when we hit sin, we can experience forgiveness, that freedom that Paul was talking about, that justification, that being made righteous because of God, because of his son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the, on the cross. And the love that Christ saturates you with, might it overflow as you stand in the gap and show people Jesus we got to get uncomfortable. we got to get out of our comfort zones to experience what God might be calling us to do. So what might God be telling you today? What might this sermon that Paul gave in the synagogue that day have to do with your life? Are you someone who grew up in the church? You know the stories. You can recite scripture from memory. You don't really need to know anything yet more, but you haven't experienced that healing that Jesus does in your heart. Or maybe you're somebody that 
has all the feels. You know what it feels like to love Jesus. Jesus has encountered you in the spirit, maybe in a worship service or on a mountaintop mission trip experience or at a retreat, but you don't, you don't know this scripture. You don't, know any, you don't have anything to understand why did this actually happen and what does it mean that God did this and you know, what is predestination and why do we talk about that and all those different things that we learn about through scripture, right? So maybe you have the heart part, but you need a foundation in your intellectual brain. Or maybe you're just stopped by the fact that you have it in your heart, you know it in your brain, but you're alone. You don't have a community of faith. You don't have a place to ask the challenging questions, to say, I don't get this, somebody help me, or I'm going through a really hard time and I need prayer. And you need to find a family, a place to belong, a place to be a part of. Or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard about Jesus. And if it is, we're glad you're here. We want to walk with you as you explore what it means to embrace the love that Jesus has for you as his child, somebody who died for you so that you might have freedom. We're gonna have people up here in just a minute praying. They're gonna be stationed here in the front and as Callan and the band comes up to sing, I want you to take the opportunity to come and receive prayer. Maybe that all of this good news that you have contained in your brain sinks down deep in your heart. Or maybe that you find a community of people to walk with you in this time. My prayer is that you will remember the mighty ways that God has worked in the lives of people, but in your life. And that you will come face to face with your savior by the power of the spirit to bring you in, overwhelming you with his love and drawing you closer to your creator. Let us pray. God, our father, we thank you for your unending love for us through Jesus Christ, your son. We see the work that you have done throughout scripture and we're reminded of the promises that you have kept. We're reminded, it, reminded that you are always with us even when we feel lost and alone. God, in the darkness, there is light because of your son, Jesus Christ. We often are the ones to condemn him. We're scared and we're lost and we're rebellious and we turn. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We long for freedom. We long for the good news that you promised. We long for light and hope. Help us, Lord, be bold when you call us to stand in the gap. Help us to have words that come out of only the Holy Spirit when we get scared to share about you. Make us uncomfortable as we encounter people who do not know you. And may we share as witnesses to what you've done in our lives, being ready to stand up and tell people about your son. May these words sink deep into our hearts as we study scripture together and may the fellowship of one another be honoring and glorifying to you as we continue to worship together. In your son's name we pray, amen.